Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I am very thrilled that Mickey Kendall stopped by to grant us her amazing presence and wisdom on this podcast today. She is a writer, a diversity consultant, and occasional feminist who talks a lot about intersectionality, policing, gender, sexual assault, and other current events. Her essays can be found all over, from the New York Times to Ebony to the Boston Globe. She has been seen on Good Morning America, MSNBC, and Showtime. She has been a voice discussing race, feminism, education, food politics, police violence, tech, and pop culture at institutions and universities across the country. We are talking today about her awesome book called Hood Feminism, and I encourage all of you to pick up a copy. It'll be out in paperback next week, and especially all of my white, white sisters out there who wonder about intersectional feminism and what it really looks like. And if you don't even have an idea what I'm talking about, then this episode is especially for you. But so much of what we are failing to do as white women is understanding that much of what our privilege affords us is leaving out basic survival of marginalized individuals and women. So white feminism, white women frequently, systemically fail to show up for women of color. And so Mickey, in her book, Hood Feminism, addresses this issue head on, and we talk about it today. And I am just grateful that she came. So check out her book and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I am very, very excited about our guest today. Mickey Kendall is here. Hello, Mickey. Hi. Thank you for having me. So she is the author of an incredible book called, well, two incredible books, but one I have read, one I will need to get, and I saw it has amazing illustrations, so that's cool too, but the book that I definitely want to make sure that everyone who's listening buys, not libraries, not borrows, but buys, um, is called Hood Feminism, and wow, just what an incredible, incredible book, so thank you, one, for writing it, thank you for not sugarcoating Thank you for having your personality and your spirit all in that book because it was just incredible. So one of the things I want to start with, and you said this, I think, on your interview with Liz Gilbert, which is where I first found out about you. You said, if you can understand misogyny, you can understand racism. And I thought, oh my gosh, thank you. That is because a lot of white women don't understand well, a lot of things, right? <laughs> I wasn't going to say. I was going to lots think. of things. Um, just as a species, we're we're a little um, don't understand a lot. That's what I have learned in the last year. Um, but when you put it in these terms about misogyny, can you can you touch on that? I assume you know what I'm talking about. 
Yes. yes. So I'm going to give an example that is based off the TikTok I saw, which is going to seem really weird, but I'm just going to explain. Um, a non-binary Black person said, I don't like when white women call me sis, right? This is what they said. And for reasons that will remain inexplicable to me, there's been a flurry, I think it's still going on, of white women getting offended at this particular boundary, right? That's racist and how could you say that? And we're all whatever. And I thought as I was watching it play out, it's interesting because if a white woman says, don't call me honey or babe or sweetie, you understand immediately that this is a normal, healthy boundary for a woman to set with total strangers who are men. So what is happening that you can't understand this? And the answer of course is entitlement, but also if you can understand the concept that people discriminate against you based on your gender, you should be able to understand that people discriminate based on race. It's not like this is a massive leap, right? I know that white women sometimes will sort of push racism off onto white men. And it's true, white men do a lot of things wrong. They, they can't get a lot of things right. But if you <laughs> understand that Uncle Bill says racist things at Thanksgiving dinner, you should understand that not Susan or your friend Kate or Karen or insert name here also says racist things. And maybe, just maybe, that's a problem and you should do a little work inside yourself to see if you're saying the same things as the people around you say right. or that you're enabling them by not saying anything when they say it right so my vast my audience of probably 73 percent white women i would hazard a guess to um that's so why i'm so excited to talk to you because i think this is just this is the audience to talk about this stuff with um all of my my um white sisters out there which i can say white sisters see how that Ooh. works ladies i can say that um but one of the things that i find really interesting is the reluctance for white women to sometimes say that they're a feminist which i find is crazy to me like when when someone will be like well i'm not a feminist but so there's that but then the distinction between feminism and what you write about in your book, which is, I, I don't know how you term it, true feminism, like intersectional feminism, right? Which is across race and genders. Right. 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 Um, one of the things that's weird to me about that is that mainstream middle-class white feminism, which is a very specific category, right? You can not all feminists, not all white feminists your way here, all you want, I don't care. But it really challenges white supremacy. And it's a really peculiar thing because white supremacy is misogynistic as misogynistic can be. Like that's baked right in, right? So when I see white women who benefit from feminism and benefit particularly from things like affirmative action and gender equality laws in the workplace and all of these things that are often fought for by marginalized feminists who are not white, um, that it seems like they're saying, well, yeah, I get to benefit from it, but I don't want to identify with it. But I definitely want all of the perks. I definitely want to be able to have a job. 
be able to access childcare so that I can go to work or whatever, be able to sue so that people can't sexually harass me in the workplace. I want all of the benefits of feminism, but none of the responsibility and none of the work. I don't want to have to pay anything back or pay anything forward. It's not really how that works. Right. And, and part of one of the, the things you point out too, that traditional femin white feminism, I guess, I don't know if that's too broad of a term, but that's what I, when I was reading, thought, oh, the white feminism, um, is there seems to be this description of, hey, you're a boss, babe, like, let's be a CEO, or let's like, make sure we're getting pay equal with our white male counterparts, but it disregards real feminist issues. Like, all women's issues are women's issues. And by saying like, I wanna be a CEO, that is discounting the fact that we have serious feminist women's issues in education and food and hunger. And um, I mean, I'm sure you can list better Ooh. than than I can, but how has, how does that make you crazy? <laughs> and And like, you know, when you, when you see, and I don't know, on social media, something about, you know, an argument about feminism and you're like, oh my God, they're like, like, there's no, they're missing the whole point here. So one of the things drives me nuts, I'm going to call out like the boss babe rhetoric specifically, is that we, we talk a lot about accessing power, right? I want the power to be a CEO. I want to be president, all of these things. And that all sounds great. What are you going to do with that power? What are you using it for? Because if you just want the power so you can have more, so people feel like mm. you can have more, what you're offering here isn't really equality. It's just impression, it's oppression with a different person in charge. That's not better. Ooh, yeah, ouch. Right. <laughs> right? So when the conversation turns to blah, 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 it's not a feminist issue, right? And we're going to say, and I've had this conversation and I find it bizarre, right? Well, gun violence is an issue, but it's not a feminist issue. The bullets going into women aren't a feminist issue. Um, how does that work, right? Hunger is an issue, but it isn't a feminist issue. So the women and their children in their communities going without food is an issue for those women, but it's not a feminist issue. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about equality for women. I'm talking about access and opportunity for all women. If we're talking about those things, that's not a problem just for over there in nebulous country where you can have like your vacation, your, your volunteerism, right? You're gonna go, you're gonna volunteer, you're gonna take that picture, side note, I'm not sure what this is, but a lot of white feminist people like to get in like pictures of young black and brown children on the street somewhere. Right. And they take a picture to show how great of a person they are and then they go home, right? They, they've done really not much to help, but they, they took this picture and they go home. And we know it's wrong when missionaries do it. We should probably know it's wrong when other people do it though. Um, and so you will say, well, this is a problem here. This is a problem in you know, Africa or the Middle East or whatever. But then you skip right over it in the UK and the US and all of these Western countries. Unless it is something like, oh, well, there's no gender equality in tech spaces. Suddenly the voices can find themselves right. all over again. Right. And I kind of end up looking at people and going, you know, it's an issue everywhere, right? Like it's a global issue. It's an issue here, it's an issue there. And certainly back the women who are working to advance equity and equality there. 
but maybe they don't need you to come teach them things that you can't figure out at home. It's a theory. It's a, you have got <laughs> it's it right a theory. Here. So I, I think of that, and I'm going to use as an example, I'm watching people and this, the Josh Whedon thing is playing out right now. And I don't know what that is. Tell so me. Josh Whedon is being investigated yet again because of allegations about um, him being a horrible person who uh, mistreats actors and oversight. Oh, right. Right, right, right. 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 And I'm watching this sort of this cycle come around. And maybe this time, because enough white women and now white men are speaking up, maybe something will happen. But I've been watching this sort of slowly build for 20 years, wow. right? And like, like his very first TV show, some of the people from his first show are coming out and speaking up. And I think to myself, just imagine how much better things could be if we address the issue at the beginning, instead of waiting into the boil over, if we right. collectively showed up for these problems when they got called out the first time and not 25 witnesses later. And it's not like it's just a Josh Wheaton problem, right? I've called in on black feminism about things like R. Kelly or Bill Cosby or you know any of these things. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be holding predators accountable for their choices, but we seem to get really silent when they pick the right targets. It's only when they pick the target we care about that yeah. we start to speak up or they get enough targets that we can no longer pretend. Right, right. It's like volume, yeah. Right. right. So that, that's kind of my thing. I want feminism to use that power, right? That girl boss power, we're all supposed to be trying to improve with all of that access. We have to use it to make things better for people who are not the girl boss or we're just accruing power to make the same terrible things happen, but in a pretty pink bubble. Right. Um, you started the hashtag solidarity is for white women. Was that before or after you published your book? That was before. Right. Um, <laughs> so talk about that a little bit. What does that mean? How did that kind of start put you on the map for good or not good i don't know i mean good um, now but right right so at the time um and this another problem and i'm not going to say his name people can look it up but i don't say his name not because i'm afraid of it but because i refuse to give him any more attention or the it, at the time prominent white male feminists would specifically target women of color who were also writers and sort of in that same general space, right? And he would do it to insulate specific white women from criticism. Um, and what was bizarre about it is that he would also do things like write articles about how letting someone jizz on your face was a feminist act. So it was oh. the emperor has new, no clothes of feminist performances, right? He's writing for a lot of mainstream outlets, a lot of big magazines, all of these things. And the rest of us are kind of watching the show and going, am, am I on drugs? How? <laughs> Who's on drugs? Wait, who, who here is high? One of us has to be high. So he has kind of a meltdown. He starts tweeting his confession of sorts. And some of the same white feminist voices had come in to tell him to be quiet and express concern for his mental health. And uh, one of them said specifically to a friend of mine, Sadat Harry, who had been one of his special targets, I knew he was a problem, but I had to protect my community and to stand in solidarity with my community. 
That's oh, so solidarity is for white women. And then I got mad. Er. Um, and sometimes when I'm angry, I get very, very verbose. I will tell you every thought I've ever had. Some of you will know the phrases dragging or playing the dozens, depending upon when you grew up. And if you don't know, you can look them up. You will also find read and shade. And I don't necessarily do the shade so much as the read, but sometimes the shade. You can figure these things out. And I had a moment and I hashtagged that moment. And it was not intended to be a thing that would go as big as it did. But it was like, I tacitly gave other people who felt the same way permission to join in with that hashtag and express the issues that they were facing as a result of similar behaviors in various circles. So it trended globally, I wanna say something like seven countries, 11 million people. It's one of the first big organic hashtags ever on Twitter, right? Back when hashtags were happening all the time. Right. So all of that happens and um, I was called divisive. I was called a lot of things, actually. I was going to say, um, let's get the list of what you were called, but divisive was one. Okay. As my grandmother would say, everything but a child of God. Um, <laughs> and I do not know if people thought that meant I was going to be quiet, but fun fact, I have a theory that I have been called worse by better applies in all times and all ways. So we have this moment, I talked to some of your, your favorite 80s child star kind of girls. Um, I'm not nice to them either, it happens. And then I was right. Like after all of that drama, all of the, the, I can't believe you're dividing women and we're all in this together. 2016's election cycle happened and everybody looked around, right? So I do all of this in like 2013, by 2016, we're having this was 2013. Okay, wow. Yeah. 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 2016. Okay. So I'm I'm a I'm called toxic. Like there's an article in the nation that basically says I'm a bully. Like all of this stuff happens. It's great. That's 2013, 2014, whatever. Then you know, we start election cycles a full year before we start election cycles officially. So 2015 and 2016, everyone kept talking about Hillary Clinton. I was invited to a meeting about how to make Hillary Clinton more appealing, all of these things. And I kept saying, your problem is that brown people, it's not black women, it's gonna be white women. And I was nuts and I was crazy. And I was like, but have you? You are so right. And then, right, it happened. And then all of a sudden, right? Like it's the Cassandra moment. And it's not that I'm happy about being right so much as it is, I was like, well, now can we have a conversation? And what's been fascinating has been watching people who, because Twitter is eternal in some ways, whose names I remember, come around to saying I was right, even if they don't necessarily call my name, come around to talking about these issues, right? Wow. About race and class and feminism and all of these things about, you know, transphobia and all of this stuff. And it's not that I think I am a perfect feminism. Hood feminism is not me saying, this is how you become the best possible feminist ever. It is literally me saying, if we are not talking about basic needs being met, we're not doing the work of making equity possible. I don't expect any one person, any one movement to fix everything. But I think if feminism is gonna say it's for all women, it has to be willing to at least help all women get to a point where they have housing and they have food and they have access to healthcare and education 
so they can fight for what they need. I'm not expecting anyone to fight anyone else's battles. I just want us to get to a place where people are not expected to show up and do all this work on an empty stomach. Right. With no home to go to at the end of that fight. Basic that, needs. Basic right, like needs. Straight up basic needs. And I and I look at feminism to do that work, which was a thing that um, was part of Solidarities for White Women, because you can't keep chasing power and then you don't use it to benefit anyone else. You can't say, I want to run for office, hold high positions, get into all of these places, and then say, well, no one needs food stamps, really. We got equity in our pay with white men. Never mind those people right. who we employ who still aren't getting. I think the federal minimum wage is $7.75 or $8 an hour. I actually don't know because every time I hear it, I make myself forget it again. It makes me angry. Right. Yeah, it's it's about that. But yeah. I hear you. Yes. And I am one of the people who thinks the fight for 15, while great when it started, that number is now too low. Right. It needs to be the fight for 25 as a minimum wage. I know someone in this, be, but small business owners, and I'm going to point out that most small business owners who are turning an actual profit are paying themselves 25 bucks an hour ish because they're paying their mortgage and they're paying their bills. And maybe the people who make it possible for your business to run should be able to afford rent. Just a consideration. And I get in rural, you know, Indiana or Illinois or Minnesota or whatever, maybe the 25 is unnecessary. But there's nowhere in the country in any of the states I just rattled off where $7.75 or $8 an hour is enough to be able to afford a studio apartment. No, I live in New England. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know how that's possible. It's not, it really, that's honestly, the, answer. the answer is it's not. Right. right, I was gonna say it really, and I'll, I'll be honest and say this, those are numbers that were decent but not good enough 20 years ago, right? And that's when I was first getting out of the military and everything, even then it was $10, $12 an hour to kind of eke by, right? To be able to really afford to live independently. Right. And that was in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's 2021. I don't even know if there are one bedroom apartments available for under 800 a month. If they are, I'm not sure they're fit for people to live in. And that's one bedroom. I mean, forget right. the children. Forget having children. Oh, no, you can't have kids and make minimum wage. I mean, you can, but then we're going to say that um, you are asking for handouts, can't breed them, can't feed them, don't breed them. I've seen that slogan a lot ago. Oh. Right. And as we move through the, the panorama outside, a lot of people who have lost their jobs because of a pandemic suddenly understand that social safety nets are important. Right. We need to understand when things aren't on fire, that social safety nets aren't are important. They aren't things we can just throw out and then try to rebuild on the fly, because a lot of what we're seeing go wrong right now. We don't have public housing networks like we used to. Right. Um, I've been helping people figure out how to get help paying their utility bills, but really we haven't been funding those programs. We hadn't raised food stamp prices to be commensurate with food costs. But we want years. people to make better choices for their health. 
we do. We want people to make better choices, but I think we're still allotting something like $5 a day per person right. total for the whole day on a food stamp budget. Last I checked, a gallon of milk is like $3.99, and that's a good, cheap, founded on sale price. If you wanted the good organic milk or whatever, then it's more like $6 right. for the generic. $8 if you want one of the fancier brands, whatever. Um, you shouldn't be in a position where we are still using numbers based off a poverty index that has not been accurate really since the 90s. I saw a number recently that said something like 30,000 a year for a family of two. Um, or no, I'm sorry, it was, I think that was for a family of three is what our poverty index is now. And I was like, where can you live off $10,000 a year per person? Who? How? How are we doing that? That's impossible. That's impossible everywhere. So I think that when we're talking about these things, we're going to need to look at, you know, I know the federal um, marketplace, ACA marketplace just opened, but in states where Medicaid didn't expand, Getting COVID has definitely tanked some people's financial futures if they didn't have really great employer-based healthcare, right? But elsewhere in the world, you know what they don't have? Medical bankruptcy. Right. right? And I know, you know, people will say, well, what does that have to do with feminism? Well, I need the female politicians and legislators who are writing the laws and doing the things to speak up. I need the people who say they're allies and who are voted into office by women to, to show up and also make sure their constituents are okay. I need us as a society, as a functioning society to understand not letting your neighbor starve or freeze to death isn't so much the dreaded socialism, although I don't know why we dread socialism, as it is basic human decency. Like I, I would like to bring that back. And sometimes we have to bring that back through the, through the movements that already exist. Right? We can't just say, well, Black Lives Matter is fighting for racial equality for everyone. No, everyone has to fight for racial equality. Well, that means that feminism has to fight for racial equality. And functionally, that means feminism has to fight for financial equity for communities in order for that equality to happen, right? It's not race or class. It's race and class. It's disability right. and gender identity and all of these things, right? If you want, I don't know, call me crazy and a socialist, I guess, but I want a society where we're not trying to figure out how to make a terracotta stove out of candles and a pot and bricks because we can't even manage to get power grids to function because we were so busy with the freedoms that now a snowstorm means people might freeze to death in one of the richest countries in the world. Right. Oh. Yes. Uh, so much of what you said um, in your book, you, you, I have it on Kindle here. Um, you write, we rarely talk about basic needs as a feminist issue, food insecurity and access to quality education, safe neighborhoods, a living wage and medical care are all feminist issues. Instead of a framework that focuses on helping women get basic needs met, all too often the focus is not on survival, but on increasing privilege. 
And that really struck me. I thought, oh my gosh, that is this culture. That is the white feminist boss babe culture, like more, more, more. But the the call is, okay, great, more, more, more. What are you doing with your privilege? What are you doing with it? And what if you get more, what are you going to do with it? And that is where it falls and goes kerplunk. And that's, that's the part that I think is so frustrating to watch. I'm not saying you shouldn't want success or whatever, whatever, right? You want to be CEO, whatever, cool. But I personally don't want to be um, the leader of the, the floating ship of debt. I personally don't want to be the people in the front car on the snow piercer train <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't want to do any of that. I, I want wild idea I know but I want us all to have enough having more than enough is great but I, I really don't begrudge my neighbor whether I know them or not whether I like them or not I don't really begrudge my neighbor's kids three square meals and access to an education and a warm safe home I, I don't I don't think any of those things are negative I want everyone to have those things literally everyone even people I don't like I still want them <laughs> to be okay right there are very few people I want to see suffer um a horrible slow demise oh I've got a few on my list but yeah yeah I mean I have some <laughs> but like In holistically general. it's not a general thing right and even the people I kind of want to see suffer a horrible slow demise <laughs> I don't really want that. I just want them to never speak to me again and for right, me to know right. that, you know, I'm better, I'm doing better than them, right? Like petty, petty stuff aside. Petty. The whole I, thing with privilege and the way that I've been able to most des to describe it best, at least in my world and the people I know, is it's it's this idea that we have one pie and everyone gets whatever port, you know, part of it. And if, if you get what you need, you're taken from my, my pie, but everyone gets their own pie. Like that's the goal. The goal is everyone gets their own pie. And right now we're operating off of a mindset that there's one pie. And it's weird to watch us have that mindset because it's the equivalent of looking at the apple pie and we're standing in the kitchen. There's apple trees there's bushels of apples outside, right? We're fighting over this pie. Right, this raggedy, misshapen ass pie <laughs> instead of just making more pies. Right. 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 And we are effectively preventing people from making their own pies, even. Because we're not just saying we have to fight over this one pie. We're also saying, well, how dare you, based on identity, how dare you want your own pie? How dare you want to exist and pay your bills and go forth? And I'm going to use, um, this is one of the things I always find really bizarre. When people start talking about job protections for um, trans people, for people of color, all of these things, right? We want to prevent you from being able to fire someone based on their identity, or based on pregnancy, all of these things. And people will say, well, that's not fair. What's not fair? What, what part of that person you just said, you wanted bootstraps and people to work, we're saying, let's make sure these people can go to work and not be sabotaged by somebody else's bigotry. What is unfair in that conversation? And you can sort of watch the glazing over as they try to find their way to say that, you know, privilege, A, that privilege doesn't exist and B, that they need to protect the privilege they perceive exists based off their identity. We, 
we could just make sure everyone has access to the equal playing field you want to imagine. I, however, suspect many people who say those things really don't want an equal playing field because they're afraid of competition. Just my theory. Right, right. Well, Mickey, I could talk to you forever, forever, forever. Um, I would love everyone to buy this book. It was very, very powerful, Hood Feminism. Um, your interview with Elizabeth Gilbert was awesome too. That was a while back. You got to go to Liz, Liz's page or it's probably on yours too, right? Did you put I think it on? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to scroll sort of dirty to get to Liz's because it's a while ago, but it was very, very powerful. So what can we do? And it isn't, I understand it's not your job to educate the white women out here who've had their eyes closed forever. However, this is a platform and it is your microphone. And for women who are listening especially white women, what is one thing that we can do today, starting right fresh now, that will help take the focus from white feminism and start to really, how do we show up more for women of color? I think is, so, is what I'm looking to try and say. <laughs> so I'm gonna say this, there are a bunch of movements. I'm gonna. Black Lives Matter. If you're in Chicago, we have Mothers Against Census Killing, which is the anti-violence org, um, or Black Our City. That's, those are all Chicago-based. If you are in Massachusetts and Boston, right, there are orgs there as well. There are orgs everywhere, honestly. You can look for your pet thing, right? And it doesn't have to be all the same. You could be advocating for a better um, access in e-learning for you know, our current online learning stuff to make sure that the poorer schools that are more likely to have people of color um, and their kids there have access to the tech to make at-home learning possible. Um, you can be advocating for clean water, um, you know, better food access, any of those things. Like pick your poison, call your favorite or least favorite Congress critters and push them to actually do some work, right? Not just whatever it is they're doing right now a lot of time, but like some work that helps their constituents, regardless of identity. If you are in a neighborhood that has everything it needs right now, great. I bet if you turn on your local news, open your local paper, you can find neighborhoods that do not have everything they need. And you can find groups advocating, trying to get help in those areas. And you can reach out to those groups and you can offer anything from money to time to if you have an ability to give them greater access to either to politicians or resources, do that because what happens all too often is that people who have more than enough will say, well, I don't know what to do. And all I can do is throw money at it. And that doesn't feel like it's enough. And you know, it's not, but it kind of is because if you don't know what to do, but you have money, money helps people who know what to do, do their job. Right. right? If you know that your boss, your company, whatever has, a bunch of hot spots that they had issued and gotten back because it's time to buy the next cycle. And they're just sitting in a room somewhere. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're not as good because they're 4G or whatever as the 5G you're using now. You can find an organization that will hand those hot spots out to communities that have experienced the digital divide, right? You can pick a thing that you have and you have more than enough of and you can divest yourself of that thing by giving it to people who need it as a day-to-day -day thing. Let's say you have none of those perks. 
You can also just say something in that meeting at work when you hear Bob from accounting tell Letitia that, you know, talk over Letitia. Um, when your coworker says something nasty about someone's hairstyle because it's braids or dreadlocks or whatever, you can, when you're sitting on that HR meeting, and I know that this is gonna be an awkward thing, but we saw a lot of HR professionals storm the Capitol on January 6th. That's a job title that showed up a lot. Stop, really? Yes. Um, a lot of them. When you know that Bill and HR is kind of a bigot, you can say something about that. You can speak up about the weird passive aggressive things that are happening that are, you know, microaggressions and sometimes macroaggressions. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't be taking care of your own needs. It doesn't mean you have to do these things every single day. But if you just do one thing this week, one thing this month, it's more than you were doing before. It helps. This is not going to be a sprint to equality. This is a marathon. I was making this point about something else. I'm going to make it here. When people talk about Black Lives Matter and how it's taken seven years for Black Lives Matter to get where it's gotten, Yes, it has taken that particular movement in, in time to get here, but they're doing it on top of slavery abolition, on top of the civil rights movement, on top of other movements. So what you have to remember is that it's taken 200 years to get here and here's not fixed. It might take 200 more. We may not get to see the theoretical promised land where everybody is equal, but you can be on the right side of history or the wrong side of history. I would like to be on the right side of history personally. Me too. And I don't understand those who don't want to be on the right side of history. I don't understand. I don't get it. We're, We're going to be in a textbook in a hundred years and there's going to be your picture. That's going to be is, your, and your grandchildren are going to have to ask why granddaddy was a racist. I keep thinking about <laughs> the man that's standing there with the, the Confederate flag in the Capitol building. Right. Your poor I, grandchildren. Right. And yet we are going to see some of these people rewrite, right? Like, so it's going to be just I mean, like your people, poor grandchildren, whatever, like who the hell right. knows what they'll be like. <laughs> anyway. But I mean, but you know, you figure Bull Connor or Robert E. Lee's relatives had to live with that name. They had to divorce themselves from that legacy and stuff. And Robert E. Lee's descendants have very clearly spoken up repeatedly, like, yes, please take down the statues. This is actually a source of huge embarrassment to us. Please make it stop. Right. And so I think about that a lot. I think about whether or not people realize that they're not going to be able to say, as people did about King, oh, I marched with King. No, all of you didn't march with King. Some of you, grandma or grandpa is lying to you. Right. Well, because nobody ever claims they were one of the people pouring milk on civil rights protesters' heads. They always claim that they marched with King. We have way more pictures and video now. Imagine being the descendant of a famous Karen, being the descendant of a famous insurrectionist. I would be so, <laughs> I would be so, so embarrassed. Bad. I know, I know. I mean, well, here's what, the way I look at it. I hope everyone, you know, two decades or two generations from now is appalled. That would be progress. That would be amazing. You know, okay, we're appalled at granddaddy instead of like carrying on the tradition, you know, I mean, Hopefully two generations from now, everyone is appalled because that would be the yeah. progress. 
That's true. Let's cross our fingers and hope. Yes. All right, everyone. Mickey Kendall, Hood Feminism, buy the book, support this, read it, share it with your friends, but make them also buy it because as a fellow author here, I don't like when people say I borrowed your book. <laughs> I like when you say you, know, you bought my book. <laughs> you know what? If they say I made my library order your book, I'm okay with that. That's right. That's some libraries have not ordered the book. And also on the 25th, Hood Feminism will be available in paperback That's right. in your local Target. Oh, hey, Target. Yes. Pick it up in your suburbia. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. All right, my dear. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.